When I was a kid, never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now, what's the plan now? Gotta move on, those days are gone now. Take me back. What up, Mike Young, episode three or episode 17? I have no idea what episode this is gonna be. But I got Jordan in the house and we're just talking shop, we're talking business. The last month and, a, and change, I've just been living in the cave, just fucking writing, getting these pitches in order. And I've been fortunate enough to be involved with some high-level people who must think enough of me to bring me on to write their projects. So part of me is like, what the hell's going on? Like, I'm, I know I ain't the fucking smartest motherfucker in the room, and I know I'm not the best writer in the city, but... I've had the opportunity to work with some really cool high-level people. So pretty soon I'm going out with a drama that I'm pitching, and it's, uh, it takes place in the 70s in Detroit. And we got Marshall Mathers, Eminem, involved as an executive producer. And I'll just tell a quick, quick riff about how that went down. Um, in the 70s, my dad used to run an all-men's health club. And the members of the club literally were the head of the mob in Detroit, his crew, Detroit pitcher Denny McClain, Al Kaline, Hall of Famer, um, you know, a couple of the Red Wings belong there, politicians, the local mayor, all these different characters were members of the club. So I was a little kid with my brother. We were running around the club as little kids. We just knew like... Something strange is going on because we were in Detroit. We don't know. We're not like a celebrity town. But yet my brother and I kept looking around as kids going, is it possible that Elvis is coming over because our cousin owns a limo company? So we kind of had a really cool upbringing and our dad was our hero. And he just knew everybody, loved, he was loved by everybody and trusted by everybody. So growing up, I always knew this was a story that I wanted to tell. And I wrote a one-hour pilot just on spec for myself and just said, I don't know what's going to happen with this thing, but I need to get it off my chest. And I wrote it, and I wrote it, and I gave it to a couple friends to read. And one of the friends I gave it to was Michael Rappaport. And Rappaport stars in my last two movies. He stars in My Man is a Loser, and he plays a great, hilarious role in A Stand-Up Guy that's coming out February 9th. And so I give it to Rappaport. He reads it, you know, because he just does that. He's like, people would, you know, if you listen to him on his show and you think he's wild and this and that, don't let him fool you. Michael Rappaport is one smart motherfucker who understands story. So he reads it and he comes back to me. And he's like, dude, this is like the best thing I've read. He's like, what the hell is this? I'm like, this is my childhood, man. This is like some inspired by true events type of shit. And he's like, <clears throat> I love this world. Do you mind if I just give it to a couple people? And I said, give it to whoever you want. So he sends it to his manager, and he doesn't want his manager to know that it's me that wrote it because he doesn't want his manager to get a preconceived notion of comedian, comedy writer Mike Young. So he gives it to him, and he tells him, oh, my boy wrote this. I think it's something, blah, blah, blah. Rappaport's manager, uh, Danny Sussman, reads it, calls him. He's like, oh, what the hell is this? This is incredible. Get this kid in here. He's like, yeah, the kid is Mike Young. Mike Young, the comedy guy? Yeah, Mike Young, the comedy guy. Holy shit, how do you write this? That's also like a fucked up thing about dumbass Hollywood sometimes is that people think just because you do comedy and you write comedies that you don't do drama. And the fact is, and, and people who do this know this, but if you are a comedian or you write comedy and you do comedy, you can usually do drama. However, it doesn't work the other way. 
You could be the most dramatic motherfucker, greatest dramatic actor, but you can't do comedy and you can't write comedy. Comedy's the gift. That's the gift. So, you know, if you look at the history of comedians, all the way back to Mike Nichols, Barry Levinson, Woody Allen, you know, Albert Brooks, they've all done comedies. They've all done dramas. It's just in them. So point being, he reads it. Excuse me. He says, oh, man, this is great. What do you want to do with this? I said, I have no idea. I just wrote it for the hell of it. I think it's a show, and I want to get it on the air. That's it. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you other than this is a TV series. There are multiple, multiple episodes, and I will go into the cave, and I will outline fucking 12 episodes if you need me to because that's just what I do. And so he reads it, he says, and Rappaport says, you know what, I'm going to give it to a couple more people. He sends it to Paul Rosenberg, who's Eminem's manager. And Paul's like on all M's albums, and I, I know who he is because he's a fucking legend. And Paul Rosenberg, oddly enough, is like from my hometown. His mom knows my mom on some Jewish geography shit. And his mom is like known to be like the sweetest, coolest woman. Like my mom's like, oh my God, I love her. You know, so it was all love. He sends it to Rosenberg. He reads it. Next I know, I get an email from Paul Rosenberg, who's like, hey, man, I'm in L.A. for a minute. Can you meet me at the cigar bar? I'm like, I don't really smoke cigars, but I'll pop a Claritin D, and I'll meet you at the cigar bar. I'll be there in a half hour. I don't give a fuck. So I go to the cigar bar in Beverly Hills, me, Rappaport, and Rosenberg. And Rosenberg's a big fella. He's 6'4", big fella. And Rappaport's 6'3 and a half, and I'm 6'2", so it's like the three biggest Jews in Hollywood are at a table at the cigar bar. And this is fucking, this is funny, because Rappaport doesn't really smoke cigars, but because we're sitting there with Paul, he just, out of respect, smoked a cigar. But he doesn't really know that you could kind of get sick if you smoke a cigar, so, like, cigars aren't just, like, toys. They fuck, they affect you. So, so I'm looking at Rappaport. He's smoking a cigar. He's kind of turning, like, pinkish on one side of his face and, like, a little bit yellow on the other side. And I'm just, like, kind of not really saying anything about it. And me and Paul, we're just talking story. So Rappaport, he's going to be okay. He, he's an actor, you know, legit. He can pretend to be healthy when he's dying from a cigar. So Rappaport's smoking a cigar. I'm talking to Paul. Paul's like, yo, man, how do you know about this? Like, how do you know this? I was like, dude, my dad used to run the Southwood Athletic Club in Detroit. He's like, dude, my dad used to work with your uncle, and he knows about the Southwood Athletic Club and all the gangsters that were there and, like, the world that was happening back there. I said, yeah, man, and I was just a kid in that world, and I've always wanted to tell this story. He's like, dude, I love this shit. He's like, are there, and, and it doesn't just have the mafia. It's got the Black Mob, the Young Boys Incorporated, the Errol Flynn's, um, the Pony Down gang. Like, there were, you know, multiple black gangs. There were Arab gangsters. There, were the, it was the, there was the mafia. And at the time, the mafia was so powerful in Detroit, they were the only other family to have a seat on the commission of the five families. So when everybody, and Detroit is like a blue-collar type of mentality where they don't brag about shit. So when New York was like flashy and mafia and everybody knew about the Gambinos, over here quietly, the mob in Detroit was skimming money from the pension funds and sending millions of dollars out to Vegas to build the hotels. They really, through Hoffa, they funded the shit. So we get to talking, blah, blah, blah. And Paul is like, dude, man, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, Eminem is not looking to act, but he is looking to produce television. 
I said, I can't really think of a better name right now to put into this package than Eminem. You know what I mean? He represents Detroit. He's an iconic figure. And beyond that, on a real, real level, he doesn't put his name on any whack shit. Anything Eminem does, there's no, you don't see him just floating his name out there on some fucking bullshit advertisements. You know what I mean? He keeps it real. So I said, listen, man, you do what you think is best. I would love to have Eminem's name on this as an executive producer. And he's like, dude, I'm going to go to him and I'll get back to you. So I know I still got work to do. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got the script. Everyone's loving it. I'm going to outline as many episodes as I can. I'm going to try to get the first season. So what I did was I went and I researched The Wire Bible. The Wire is one of my favorite shows ever. And The Wire Bible is just the Bible of Bibles. And it's, you know, David Simon and uh, his writing partner. Um, who was his writing partner? It was Simon and the journalists. The guy, or the guy who was the homicide detective. Anyway, they wrote a Bible that was probably 150 pages long, and it outlined the entire first four seasons of The Wire. So I said, you know what? You're going to put in work like that? I'm putting in work. Yes, they had their deal at HBO already set, but I'm about to put in work on this. So I went to work, and I went into the cave, and I came out like a month later with a full season outline. But I didn't really want to show anyone because I didn't want to give it away yet. So... What are my neighbors fucking drilling? I'll drill you. So they, uh, so I, I write it out, and Rosenberg goes back to Eminem, and he gives and he emails me and Rappaport like two days later, and he's like, "Yo, do you mind if we give this to M's agent at ICM?" I said, "Yo, dude, go and give it to whoever you want. I don't care, or buy it off me for two hundred thousand, whatever the option." So he gives it to Chris Silberman, the head of ICM, and Chris is a beast. He fucking is the man. He runs ICM. He's one of the top dogs. And again, within 48 hours, I get an email from Chris Silberman. Dude, can you come into my office, please, and have a sit down, you and Michael Rappaport? Boom. Me and Rappaport make an appointment. We go. We see Chris Silberman. Dude's got a picture of a heavy bag. And boxing is like a big part of my life and a big part of this show. It's got Kronk boxing when Tommy Hearns and Milt McCrory and Jimmy Paul and the, the, when Kronk was producing fighters like Ford was making cars. They had champions coming out of that motherfucker. So he's got a picture of a, and I'm like, yo, I already like this guy. So we go in there, we sit down, we talk it out, and he's like, dude, I love this world. I want to set this up. I want you to do a little bit more work. And he's put me to the grind. He's like, yo, Marshall, Eminem, he's in. But he's not in in until you put a little more work in. He's like, I want you to flush this thing out and come back into me and pitch it verbally. So now I'm stressed. It's like, yo, you you know, it takes me a year to get 20 minutes of stand-up comedy to memorize. Now I gotta come in and pitch this guy 20 minutes of a TV show. Boom, boom, boom. I go back with Rappaport. You know, I'm I'm doing the work. Michael's busy. He's doing his, his podcast. He's doing movies. You know, so I'm just in the cave and I'm coming out every few days. Like, yo, what do you think of this? How do you like this, Jordy? I'm showing you pages. You're reading stuff, and it's just like you said. It's like my opus. You know what I mean? This is my thing. So I get it ready. I go back into Silberman. I'm like, I pitch. He's like, great, man. Great. I'm going to call Paul. I'm going to set this up. Eminem will be an executive producer if Paul gives you the green light, and we're going to be good to go. I said, okay, cool. Let me know what's up. I get a call two days later from Silberman. You got to call Paul. You got to do the pitch to him. 
Now I got to do the pitch again. Now I got to pitch it to Paul over the phone. So now I'm pitching the, oh, you know, I call Paul, blah, 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 with chat, chat, chat. All good, all good. How's your mom? Good. How's my, your mom? Great. Good. My dad knew your dad. Awesome. You know, and it's like, it's all love and it's all relationships, which is going to bring me full circle back to my whole point of this whole thing. And Paul, I just start flowing. I said, all right, bro, here it is. You could just listen, pipe in whenever you want, but I'm just going to give it to you the way I'm going to pitch it to the networks. And you tell me what you think. And boom, I give him the pitch. Here's the world, Detroit, 1975. Jimmy Hoff is about to disappear for what is going to be the biggest murder mystery in the, in the history of America. You know, you got the mafia is powerful. You got Kronk boxing. You got a man and his family in the middle of this world. And it's the story of a man trying to stay clean in a dirty world. And I go through every character and every machination and, every, and the seasonal arcs. And then I'm done. And he's like, I love it, dude. I love it. He asked me a few questions. He was like, are we supposed to feel bad for Sam? Are we supposed to be sympathetic for the main character? And I said, you know, look, this is not a soap opera. This is no soap opera bullshit. This is a long-term series where you're going to gain wisdom and insight into the human condition, and you're going to ride with this guy and his family while they're in the middle of this super interesting lightning-in-a-bottle Detroit world. And he's like, dude, I'm in. Boom. He calls Chris Silverman. Chris Silverman calls me with the green light. And he's like, dude, Eminem is in. Congratulations. Let my let my office handle this. We're going to set up the meetings. So now, you know, cut to a week and a half later, I get an email that says you're meeting with HBO, TNT, AMC, uh, uh, Hulu, Amazon, like six or seven high level badass places. And we're ready to go, you know. And we, and Jordan's here, but he's not talking, but it makes me feel better because I'm actually talking to a human being who's breathing as opposed to staring at my microphone stand and pretending it's a human when I put a hat on it. But he calls me, meetings are lined up, and I'm just trying to be super prepared. But my whole point to come back to is that in this town, man, People try to pretend that they're hard to get to. And there's always like five people you got to call to get to somebody. And it's like, I just want you to know everybody can be gotten to. Everybody, you could get to everybody. You could get to anybody. So if you have what you think is a great project and you have what you think is just dope content, and I'm and it's got to be dope. Don't don't try to throw any bullshit. This is like, yeah, you'll get some bites and nibbles and you might get into a room with somebody, but you better come with the diamond. And when you got what you think is the diamond, everybody can be gotten to. And I say this and I tell this little story, this anecdote, I tell it because I've got another project that I was brought in to write. And I've been fortunate enough again, I haven't even met him yet, but Kanye West Camp has brought me in to be the writer for their half-hour comedy. And their half-hour comedy is basically an entourage type of show set in the world of rap music. So I kind of pitched it like, imagine the comedy version of, you know, straight out of Compton, modern day, you know, with a little Jerry Maguire thrown in. Funny, funny record exec dude, you know, gets fired from the label. No one's going with him. He finds a diamond in the rough in a new rapper from Inglewood. And it's together, it's going to be their journey from the bottom to the top. Point being, I'm fortunate. They brought me in. I'm the guy. I wrote it. 
I, I sold it. Well, I, I didn't sell it. I made my deal with Warner Brothers Studios. That deal is officially closed. Kanye, every single person in that deal has closed their deal. And we are now going out to the networks with Kanye as an executive producer, David Nutter, who just won the Emmy for Game of Thrones, attached as director, myself, Mike Young, that nobody really knows yet as writer. But I'm so good with that. I'm so good being... the. You know, it's like that Snoop song. You know what I mean? Fuck the fame. Give me the money and the weed. <laughs> or maybe that was Ghostface Killer. I can't remember. But it's kind of how I feel. Um, so point is, when Jordan got here today, you know, I had, I had this thought yesterday while in the meeting at Warner Brothers, and I just said it out loud. I said, yo, imagine Jonah Hill. Imagine if Jonah Hill was a high-level record executive who got fired, and he's hilarious, and he's impulsive, and he's, he's, he's charming, and he's smart, and he's funny, and he's lovable, but he's also goofy and makes a ton of mistakes along the way. Imagine him getting fired from a label, nobody will go with him, and he finds the diamond in the rough. And Warner Brothers was like, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of jokingly, we were like, yeah, it'd be tough to get him, but like, we'd love to work with Jonah. And then the more I thought about it, I said, I've been at the motherfucking nightclub with Jonah. I've hung out at Leo's birthday party in New York City with Jonah. You know what I mean? He's not going to, he doesn't remember me. We didn't even have five words together. But I know Jonah Hill can be found. I know I could get a, a eight words in with Jonah Hill. I'm like, he's a human being. You're just a human being, buddy. We're all just human beings just trying to do this. So my point was, I think I have a great idea. And initially, people were like, you're never going to get Jonah Hill. He makes $12 million a movie. And then Jordan pointed out to me that, you know what? Yes, he's a huge movie star. But guess what? We've also, you know, he's also done projects that were not gigantic, that did not go to a thousand screens. And maybe he just wants to do something that's super cool and super dope that's right up his alley that he has interest in because he has genuine interest in hip-hop. I know the dude loves hip-hop. He's a hip-hop fanatic like the rest of us white boy Jews from different cities around the country. It just is what it is. And I've just decided to put a call in to his manager, who I know, and we're going to see what happens. And I'll bet you Rick Yorn, who is Leo's manager and Jonah's manager, and who is a big-time dude, I'll bet you he calls me back. I've known Rick for years. I used to play ball with him, and I'm hoping to get a call back, and I'm just going to say, listen, Rick, this is a long shot, but let me tell you what's happening. I have a firm deal at Warner Brothers Studios. Kanye West is executive producing, and I am the writer-creator of a hip-hop entourage show, and we're looking for a dude to play the manager. What do you think about Jonah? Can I please get a sit down with him? And Rick's probably going to go either he's not interested in TV and that will be the end of the conversation. Or you know what, Mike? That's pretty damn cool, man. Let me see. Yeah. Yo, come in the office. I'll say, great, Rick. I will come in the office because you know what? My lawyer is down the hall from you and you're Rick Yorn and my lawyer is your brother and his company. And Jared Levine, who's my lawyer, is at Kevin Yorn's company. So I just believe, like, you know, I believe in the theory of connectivity. We're all connected, especially when you put it out there. Nobody is immune to being, you know, gotten or talked to. I don't mean it to sound like in a gangster, like, yo, you could be got. What I mean is, if you got something dope, 
ears should be open. And this business, people get so mind tricked. They get so caught up in this BS about like, oh, you could never get to him. It's like, why not? Why? Who are you? You act, you play other people in things. Are you, are you harder to get to than my friend who owns Zico Coconut Water? Are you harder to get to than the guy, my maintenance man who I can't get to fix my air conditioning? You know what I mean? Why are you, well, why do we put this shit on, a, on, on like celebs and like this business? It's so like mine, hold on. <coughs> Thank you. Excuse me, let me sip that coffee. Point is, if you put your mind to it, and you make something where that's got that's quality. And by the way, Dan Gilbert, I'll, I'll name drop all day. I don't care. It's a name drop episode. I'm name dropping. Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, owner of Quicken Loans, owner of probably 21 other companies, and a friend of mine because he financed my first movie that I wrote. I did not direct. I wrote Grounded starring Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels. That's going to come out after everything else because it took forever. But that's another story. But Dan always said to me, it was like one of the first things he ever said. And he's like, listen, dude, because I was like, yo, how, do you, how did you create? You know, you're worth $2 billion. One day I said, how did how'd you create wealth? Like, how, what was it? And he said two things. And one was money follows. It doesn't lead. Money follows, meaning do good work, put it out in the world, and money will catch up to that. Money will come at you from that. And it's a very simple thought. It's not Dan's thought only. It's, you know, in probably every one of these self-help or make money books, but it is a true statement. And it's true going all the way back to when I had $1,000 left in my bank account and I used it to make a comedy album. And I didn't even have more than a half hour of material, but I made the album and I put my heart and soul into this thing. I sent it out to Montreal and they accepted me in the festival, and I went to the Montreal Festival off of this one comedy CD, and I ended up getting a deal for over a hundred grand, and it allowed me to quit my day job. And it was the first time I could quit working, you know, at a production company because I could afford to just finally focus on comedy more. And listen, man, th- life goes up and down, in and out. Things don't always work out. You could have a dope piece, and it doesn't happen, but. I believe more often than not, good things will come from good things. And Dan taught me that. And I kind of like, I stayed with that philosophy. And I believe that. And like, people always look at the entertainment business like it's like this thing that nobody, like you can't touch. Like, like when I, I'll see people and they're like, good luck, man. Good luck. It's like, good luck at your accounting job, bro. Like, good luck to you too. Like, this business people think is just the impossible business. And listen, it is a tough business. It is a racket. But it doesn't need to be so damn tough if you do good work. Like, it shouldn't be this tough. But it's also like, look at any business that you are successful at. Any business. I don't know anybody that's overnight success in any business, all right? My dad was grinding it out for 20 years in the scrap metal game before he became a well-to-do human being and unfortunately didn't get to spend it because he passed away early. But point being, it wasn't for 15, 16 years till he really, really was making money. 
So people come out here, they're like, it's so hard. I've been here four years. Oh, man, this shit is impossible. I've been here six years. Why is your journey any different than any, 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 any other journey? Yeah, if you land here and you get noticed at the club because you're so good looking or you're so hot as a chick and they put you on a TV show, yeah, your shit changes overnight. But guess what? Your shit lasts two years. You'll be broke in four years if you're not careful. So be in everything for the long haul, you know, because it's a marathon. It ain't a sprint, I don't think. Not for me. And I've never been a sprinter and ironically enough, I am a slow runner, so I am the perfect example of a slow, you know what I mean? I've been out here 18, 19 years, you know, I don't even know when I started comedy, because I consider starting comedy the day my ex-girlfriend yelled at me and said, you're not even serious about comedy, because I thought I was serious, but I wasn't at the, I wasn't there every night grinding it out. And then one day Rebecca's like, you're not even on stage every night. There's comedians on stage every night. And that was the day that I became, a, I dedicated my shit to stand up. And, and after that day, every single day at the comedy store, in the basement of the Ramada, at Dublin's, in a bar, in a corner bar, in a shithole. Yeah, I'll do your party and I'll stand on the same level as the rest of the crowd in your living room for 180 bucks. I'll do anything. So it is a long-ass haul, but the point is, you can get to anybody. And yes, we've been fortunate enough to be in worlds out here where people are highly connected, you know, but that's been through basketball, through sports, through being a good person, man, being, being a likable dude who just likes people like, man, you're just lucky, man, people like you. I'm like, guess what, bro? I like people. You could say people like me. I appreciate that. But guess what? I like them too. I like people. I genuinely don't dislike people. I'm, you know me, Jordy. I'm not a negative dude. I'm glass half full all day long. I give you the benefit of the doubt. I got two enemies on planet Earth. That's it. And that's on some physical shit. You know what I mean? That's because I happen to get beat up a couple times in different cities. You know, but that's all that is. That's just the downfall of, you know, being a free radical in stand-up comedy. Anything can happen. But point is, it's not that tough to get to people. And if you have something you believe in, and there's a thousand stories like this. Dan had a conference in Cleveland where Urban Meyer spoke. And the dude, Philippe Badada Petit, or whatever his name is, the guy that met the walk the man, man on a wire guy who walked on a wire, and the guy that started AOL, um, Ted Katsakis, I think is his name, something like that. He spoke, and all these dudes, all of the, what I got from all of them was that they all broke the rules. They all did it their own way, and like Katsakis, the guy who started AOL, he knew he had this amazing idea, and he just couldn't get people to listen to him, and so he sent a pizza with no pizza in it. He sent a pizza box with a fake delivery boy to the office of an executive who he was looking to raise money for. And when the guy opened the pizza box, a letter was in there. Like, please read this, please. Under, you know, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And his point was, nobody doesn't open a pizza box. Like, everybody loves pizza. You know what I mean? Unless you're a bitch that's gluten-free and like really just isn't going to eat pizza and like really not going to open it. Then you are then you I don't want to be in business with you anyway, but everybody opens a pizza box. So 
yo, I don't care if you got to send a pizza box to Jonah Hill. And if Rick doesn't call me back, I'm sending Jonah a pizza. I know he ain't going to turn that shit down. I'll send him a pizza. And, and if I do get Jonah Hill in the show, if I do, that would be unbelievable. But the funniest shit would be, years ago, I'm at a pool. I'm, doing, I'm performing in Vegas at the Venetian. Oh, no, at the House of Blues with Joe Rogan. I'm opening for Rogan. And I see Jonah Hill. I'm chilling at the pool. And I, I see Jonah Hill alone, eating, dressed in all black, shorts, not looking healthy. Just sitting there tearing up a burger at the pool like 50 yards from me. And I have the idea for that short that I want to do about the comedians that go on the road robbing people. So I say to myself, I'm going to go get Jonah Hill right now at the pool in Vegas in 117 degrees while he's eating a burger. Of course he's going to want to talk to me. And I'm going to drop a couple names at him just to make him feel good. So I roll up on Jonah Hill. And the first name I drop is Connolly. Kevin Connolly. I know they know each other. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm a friend of Kevin Connolly. How do you know Connolly? I kind of worked on Entourage. You worked on Entourage? Well, I didn't really get paid, but I had an office there, and I punched up jokes. And Yeah, I know Connolly. Listen, dude, I got the greatest idea for a short film. This is what I'm saying to Jonah Hill, who's already making $10 million a movie. I'm telling him I have a great idea for him to work for free to do a short freaking film for me. I'm like, dude, you got to do this. I got a short film. It's comedians that become bandits. And I know you appreciate comedy because you're in the comedy world. So, you know, this is right up your alley. And he just looks at me. He goes, nah, nah, it's not going to happen, bro. It's not going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. Well, you want to just take a look at it? It's a quick read. It'll take you 10 minutes to read this thing. No, bro, not going to happen. Cool, man. Yo, nice meeting you. Pleasure. Enjoy your stay in Vegas. I think he was shooting Get Him to the Greek, actually. That's how long ago that was. And, uh, yeah, Jonah Hill did not do my short film. However, I have absolutely no problem in asking Jonah to do a Warner Brothers Studios production to play a hip-hop manager who represents the diamond in the rough. And I will go get him. And on this next podcast, hopefully I'm calling you saying, yo, we're going into production Jonah's so cool, man. We're just tripping out listening to new hip-hop. You know, he turned me on to the new ASAP Rocky shit. So that's that about that. <clears throat> what do you think, Jordy? Anything else? I mean, it's just a little story that needed to be told. Right? So that is just one story that needed to be told. And the next story I'll tell you will be a little different. I'll tell you about another. I'll tell you about how... I got the opportunity to write and direct my first movie. Maybe that'll inspire some people. It was so, I was so fortunate and so lucky. And I'll tell you the story because it relates to a lot of entertainment stuff. And it comes back to like my friend Doug Ellen who created Entourage. And it was like this chain of events that ended up happening to me that became my man as a loser and really kicked off what's been a really fun three years of writing and directing and people and the doors being opened. It opened the door to Michael Rappaport, and it opened the door to I Am Rappaport, to Rappaport's podcast, because it got Jordan Winter, who is my producer here and who is an associate producer on my new movie, A Stand-Up Guy, he got involved with Rappaport, and because Jordan's so high level and just wrangling and able to put things together like that in a quick 
time frame, Rappaport was like, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And Jordan's like, hold on, let me call my boy who's a genius sound engineer, and we're going to put this together for you. And probably within a week, you had Rappaport a podcast, physical podcast, a physical pod, and he was off and running to the races, and he's gone. And now he is like one of the most popular podcasts, and everywhere I go, people know I know him, so they hit me up like, yo, I love his podcast. And so I'm just going to tell stories. You know, Rappaport is wild, and he has his own lane. I cannot fuck with that lane. Even when I did the wrap-up show on Howard Stern with him after the movie, I think I said eight words. You know what I mean? Rappaport, when you get in a room with him, just just be prepared to be quiet because he needs to go. You know, he just needs to start rolling. So anyway, hopefully the next time we talk, my M&M piece will be getting a green light at a great network that we'll be looking forward to doing. Uh, And my Kanye piece will be set up at HBO where we hope to make it happen. And I'll just be in the cave with dried out skin and, you know, dandruff on the eyebrows. And, you know, maybe I'll have a girlfriend by then. Maybe I'll just keep sleeping around and those will be other stories you can hear. But otherwise... Mike Young, sometimes known as Single Mike, sometimes a writer, sometimes a director, sometimes a comedian, sometimes all three, sometimes one, sometimes two, sometimes none. Peace.